You're listening to The Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. So he set us free from this journey of trying to prove to God that we are good enough. And also we're, we're free from the spiritual and eternal consequences of our sins. And that's what brings about life change. That's what changes my mind, my heart, and now points me to want to live for Jesus. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor. We are continuing our series on the Father's Heart. This week, looking at God as the promise keeper. I am joined by two special guests and friends to unpack the message today. First, we have Pastor of Spiritual Formation, Bob Moss with us. Bob, thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. It's always fun to be mm-hmm. part oh, of this. Always great to have you. And we're joined by Lead Pastor Jose Avaroa. Yeah, it's a letdown because Sean's not here to talk about his message, but uh, here, here I am. <laughs> no, it is great to have y'all both. Sean isn't here, so I normally would ask him kind of uh, his first take, but we'd love to just open up right away to both of y'all's thoughts, not only on the message, but just this concept of promise keeper. Jose, this is one of the key things that we see in Malachi, but you pulled this out just as one of the attributes of God. So why is it so important just to even talk about this attribute of God and how it relates to our, our daily lives? Yeah, so in the same way that last week we looked at um, sacrifices and the, the what the people of God were not doing, uh, instead we focused on what God has done for us this week is, is just the same. So we can focus on our, our inability to keep our promise, our inability to honor and revere God, uh, or we can look at how God has continued to fulfill his promises throughout the storyline of scripture. And so um, this week we are looking at marriage. We're looking um, at what a covenant looks like. And those are things that God has modeled to us. Marriage is actually a reflection of uh, Jesus and the church. So these things really come together in a beautiful way. And, you know, God doesn't pull any punches here in Malachi. So it's also important for us to talk about that tone and why it's so important to uh, take this seriously. Mm-hmm. We're going to jump into more of the passage based on Malachi 2. But I want to ask y'all personally, what is a promise of God's that speaks to you personally? Maybe something you continue to go back to. We know that God is a promise keeper, but what promises has he told us that you have held on to in your walk? Uh, Bob, I'm looking at you. I don't know if you have one <laughs> off the top of your head. The, uh, what's this so significant to you about God being a promise keeper? Well, the, the number one promise that comes to us through Jesus Christ is that he made the way. What the old covenant could not do, Jesus did. And he made a way for us to approach God continually. And we we don't have to go through any sacrificial system because Christ has already taken care of all of that. And once Jesus did that, he fulfilled forever, for all eternity, the freedom that anybody who desires a relationship with God can come to God through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that the promise that the promise that God made in the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is clear, is that He is always there for us. Mm-hmm. Our problem is that we get distracted so easily. And in the Old Testament, they had to wait for the priest every year to do his his thing with going into the Holy of mm-hmm. Holies. 
Yeah, the day whereas, of atonement. Whereas we don't. We we have access continually. You know, I think one of those promises digging into that is that he continually forgives me. Amen. He continually, continuously uh, loves me despite what I've done. The importance is, again, this is what Malachi speaks to. We need to be aware that we fall short. We need to be aware of our sin because the more we focus and recognize our sin, the more we're actually uh, giving glory to God for his love that has covered over our sins. Mm -hmm. So throughout the day, you know, when I start feeling bad about something I've said or, or maybe a thought pattern or maybe I do feel distracted, uh, man, remembering that God continuously loves me, his forgiveness is there for me day by day, um, that, that's game changing. Mm-hmm. That's good. Let's talk about this in Malachi 2. Uh, God does not mince words in this part of scripture as far as talking about uh, the consequences and even the curse that's put on uh, the people as they turn away from God. As we read that now, uh, I'm thinking of people who may be um, new in their faith or walking in their journey and they hear these words like curse or they hear these words, you know, even just the concept of consequences can seem uh, kind of intimidating. So how would you navigate that as as someone who's reading this maybe for the first time and just trying to understand this idea that is God causing, you know, consequences in my life? Is he cursing me? I mean, how, how do y'all navigate that when it comes to this, this truth here? Yeah, I grew up, you know, with this mindset that if I did something wrong, I, I would be cursed. I would be, um, you know, punished for my actions. And again, looking that, I think we'll talk about this later, that there is no condemnation for those that in Christ Jesus, knowing the difference between condemnation and conviction is really, really important. But there are natural consequences to our bad decisions. That's just the way things go. And then God established those on purpose. He's showing us our need for a savior. So I, I, I think it's funny, and maybe not funny, but in, in Malachi 2, 2, he says, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. So he's saying, yeah, you're already cursed. You know, you're already not doing what I've asked you to do. We can read in Deuteronomy when he's pretty, you know, black and white. If if you follow me, if you obey my commandments, there will be blessing. If you don't, there will be, um, you know, a curse that that comes after me. Uh, But thanks be to God, Jesus has saved us from the curse. Jesus has saved us from Amen. the spiritual consequence of our sin. You know, again, we, we still have to deal with the earthly consequences of sin. So I think there's a difference there. Yes, and the New Testament makes it very clear that Christ became a curse for us so that we could be blessed. And he who knew no sin became sin when he went to the cross. He bore our sins on the cross, but he'll never bear them again because it's a one-time deal. He doesn't have to do it again. At the cross, God dealt with sin once and forever. The problem today is our reaction or our response to Jesus. How are we going to respond to him? And Paul put it very succinctly in Galatians when he said, Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a person sows, that they will also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. But if we sow to the Spirit, we're going to reap life. So the burden, once again, is put on us. Christ has made the way, but we have to continually make the right choices 
to move in God's direction, not in our own. Yeah, and we fall short so many times, as I hear both of y'all saying, just the humility that even just that statement requires for all of us to come to terms with and recognizing the need for a Savior. Jose, you brought up this this point that Sean did on Sunday as far as the difference between conviction and condemnation. Practically, what does that look like in both of y'all's lives? Because I know at least for me, it can, it can even maybe start with conviction and then turn it into condemnation and guilt and shame. So how do you tell the difference just in your own lives and how do you guard yourself from staying in the place of conviction and, and, and repentance and versus going into this guilt, shame and condemnation? Yeah, I wanna read uh, Romans eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we're in Jesus, we're not condemned. Uh, John three seventeen says, uh, for I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Uh, so Jesus came to rescue us, not to condemn us. Our sin condemns us. You know, that's the guilt, that's the shame. What did Sean say? He said something like, it's a weighted judgment, condemnation. I think that's how he he phrased it. It's a weighted judgment. And I think that that that's what we put on other people when when we judge, when to condemn, uh, not to discern whether what they're doing is a good thing to model or to repeat. And that's the very same thing that, that we can put on ourselves if we're too hard on ourselves, if we're trying to make up for our bad behavior. But when we're, when we're in Christ, we're saying it's only because of what he's done that I'm now free. So he set us free from this you know, uh, journey of trying to prove to God that we are good enough. And also we're, we're free from the spiritual and eternal consequences of our sins. And that's what brings about life change. That's what changes my mind, my heart. Uh, and, and now uh, points me to wanna live for Jesus. You know, Romans 8 continues to talk about sinful flesh and uh, living by the spirit. So um, man, we wanna set our minds on what Jesus wants on what the spirit wants mm-hmm. us to do. And when we do that, there's so much joy and freedom. And that's what, you know, is so fun about following Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Bob, would you add to that? Just the difference between conviction and condemnation and how you tell the difference? Well, one of the th- ways that I see it for me is that when I am walking in the light, the brighter God's light shines in my heart, the more conviction I sense yeah. because he, the light exposes the darkness. And that's why in the world, uh, we should not be surprised when people of the darkness do what they do. Mm-hmm. If it's, uh, we shouldn't get angry with them. They're, they're doing what is natural. Mm-hmm. We as Christians are the ones who are supposed to be walking in the light as he is in the light. And the Bible tells us that if we do that, we have fellowship with one another. So for us, the brighter the light shines, the more conviction we we sense. Yeah. Uh, because the God is exposing areas of our life that we need to change. We need to repent. And Bob, I want to ask you, we've about this. We've talked about this a number of times. I would love for you to share, if you can recall, like Paul's progression. He calls himself the worst of sinners. Right. And and, and there's a couple well, of other instances in scripture. Right. In in the book of First Corinthians, which is one of the first books that Paul wrote, he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Mm-hmm. And then as he grew and matured, As a believer, 
He writes in the book of Ephesians, he's the least of the saints, which is a step down from being the least. Yeah, yeah, he's demoted himself from being the least of the apostles to the least of the saints. And then in the very last books that he wrote, books to Timothy, he refers to himself in the end as the chiefest of sinners. So in Paul's experience, the more he knew of the Lord, the more light that shined in his heart, the more he saw himself mm-hmm. as a sinner in, that was totally saved by grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a big piece of that too is he knew where his worth came from. And so he was able to say that because he knew that it didn't come from his actions, his right actions, his wrong actions, but instead it came from Christ. I think for me, that's the biggest difference I would say just between conviction and condemnation is conviction is where, okay, uh, I, I wish I hadn't done that or I knew that wasn't the right thing to do, but I knew that my worth was still secure in who God is. But the times where I begin to think because of what I've done, then my worth is now much lesser or I need to somehow work my way up or prove my worth, then that's when it just really kind of becomes crippling as far as that condemnation. So totally to that point that Paul knew where his his security was, he knew where his identity was. And so he was able to be so humble in the way he talked about his sin and his past, just because he knew that it wasn't up to him to determine where he's at and his his purpose. I wanna go back to just this concept of God being the promise keeper. Uh, Sean talked a lot about this concept of covenant and the difference between a contract and a covenant, particularly when it came to marriage. And I'd love to just hear both of y'all as far as just examples to many in the church about what it looks like to be godly husbands as you lead your families. And just wanna hear your thoughts on what is so significant about understanding that concept of covenant when it comes to a marriage, because I know God has designed marriage to be a representation of his covenant with us here on earth. And so how have you seen that be so significant and how do you continue to live that out? Bob, let's start with you. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> if you if we look at things like uh, Sean was talking about, if, if it's a contract, it's a transaction between two people. Mm-hmm. A covenant brings God into the picture. And if we are loyal to God, if we are faithful to God, he, he, get, he empowers us to be better husbands, better fathers. Uh, he equips us, so to speak, to be everything that he wants us to be if we are putting him first. If, if we don't, if we don't put him first, we end up having conflict, not only with him, but we have conflict with our wives. Um, and I'm speaking as a husband, but mm-hmm. it's, same thing is true for a wife. If a wife doesn't keep her relationship with Jesus first, she's going to have conflict with her husband. But uh, I can recall a time when when Linda uh, just basically put put God before me and where she was at one point in our marriage, she nagged some, you know, she would try to get me to do something. She quit trying to get me to do something. When that, when she stopped doing that, there was a remarkable change in my relationship with the Lord because of her faith, not because of me, but because the fruit of her relationship the fruit with of God. her relationship with God was there for me to partake of. 
And the same thing is true when I have been putting Christ first, she's had the same experience. So both the husband and the wife need to put Christ at the center, make his relationship with us preeminent. Yeah, it takes the pressure off of the husband and the wife from being the end all for the other person. And so when we do that, we're trying to complete each other. And we know that we can only be truly complete in Christ when we're individually being completed in our relationships with Jesus as a husband and a wife, then we're actually complimenting Amen. each other. And, and that's the difference. Agreement. Yeah, you come into agreement versus, you know, coming into... Conflict. <laughs> intention, because we're, we're, coming yeah. with, uh, we're coming with our needs to God first and then looking at how we can meet our needs. Uh, it's a beautiful design, mm-hmm. you know, and also Jesus uh, told us, or Paul teaches us in Ephesians to model the covenant that God made uh, with us in our marriages. So husbands, love your wife as Jesus loved the church, laying down his life for her, being a sacrificial leader. And then wives, honor your husbands as we are to honor Christ as the church. And so there's honor and there's sacrifice and, and there's you know a, a beautiful picture of how that works in our relationships with God, but then how we can model that in our marriages. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it's so rare just compared to what the world has to offer and our culture and uh, I think that's something Sean did a great job pointing out. Even just beyond marriage, he brought up the example of Ruth and Ruth's commitment to Naomi mm-hmm. and how that is such a uh, a rare example. Uh, we actually got a, a question from Don Kalinda uh, on the podcast, wanting us just to unpack a little bit more of that Ruth mm-hmm. example and that story. And I love the question from uh, the community group uh, that we asked last night, which was, what makes this type of loyalty so difficult to live out? So I think there's so much of that that's attractive to us, regardless of what yeah. season of life we're in, where just that, that sense of loyalty but but what makes that so difficult for us to live out in our earthly relationships, whether it's marriage or even outside of it's, marriage? It's really good. And I think the key there is that Ruth was truly committing um, without receiving anything. So she was sacrificially committing. Uh, Naomi had very little to offer her. You know, Naomi's issue was, Ruth, go back to your homeland because I don't have any more sons for you to marry. That was that was a cultural uh, deal that wasn't available for her. And so she thought her best at having a good life <laughs> was going back home. And Ruth chose to commit to her mother-in-law <laughs> of all people. So we see a, a, a marriage principle being modeled by a mother-in-law and a, and a daughter-in-law. And the beautiful part there is that Jesus also tells us to uh, look after those that can't give us anything. So that commitment to love those that can't really give much to you is so important. And it's a little different in marriage because it is a two-way street, but it's that same way of giving just because. It's unconditional love. It's loving first. And Jesus modeled that. He wants us to do that in marriage. And then he also wants us to do that with others. Mm. And it's really hard to do. Amen. Bob, would you add to that as far as the example of Ruth and and what it looks like to live that out in our earthly relationships? Well, I I love the way that that's such a part of so many marriage vows. When people want, they include that phrase at the end, you know, where you will go, I will go, you your go. people will yeah, be my people. I love that. Yeah. And I think the same thing is true in the church. And that is, if we understand that covenant that we have in marriage, it helps us understand the corporate covenant that we have as believers mm-hmm. 
in uh, the church, in a local church. We agree to stick together. We agree to forgive one another and forbear with one another. We We agree that if there's a problem, we're not going to go talk to everybody else about it. We're going to go to the individual right. that we have a conflict with, and we're going to talk to them and then follow the steps of Matthew 18. Those, that's a part of the covenant we have with the Lord. And the, the more we walk in that, the more, uni, the more unity, the more oneness we will experience as a body. Yeah, and the more blessing that, the more that, blessing. that we Amen. experience because you can't you can't experience that elsewhere when when truly lived out. So that's a great point. I love I think that's a great way to end this, Bob, is to say this is a message of uh, God's promise. Uh, not of our, uh, we know that we're unfaithful, but let's stay focused on the faithful God who made a way for us to be with him. And that blesses our marriages, that blesses our church. And I hope this conversation has blessed you. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.